I got to tell you something. That music gets me so geeked up. It's like Christmas morning every Thursday. You know what? You, you know what time it is. It's 1046. When you hear that music, you know on Thursday. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsors. That's plural, Dan. Fact set. Financial data and data and analytics powered by tomorrow and open exchange. Dan, you know what they do. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, how are you? Are you as geeked up as I am? Are I'm you pretty fired up? up. This is a virtual meeting that matters right now at 1046 guy. Let's get into it because we know that so many of our viewers here have meetings at the top of the hour so, and we want to do our best not to go overtime here, right? I want to be respectful of that. I put it at a 90% chance we go OT. But you know what? The first thing we want to look at, you're a friend of CQ. CQ, of course, Carl Quintanilla. Earlier this week, he put out the following tweet. Dan Nathan, high yield price for perfection. You want to sort of talk about that real quick? Wait, wait, hold on, guy. You got to read the tweet. High grade, high grade U.S. corporate bonds. You know, high yield speaks to something really different. And this is what I think is so important about this tweet, about this commentary. So he's saying high grade U.S. corporate bonds are priced for perfection and vulnerable to rates, volatility, and tighter monetary policy. According to Morgan Stanley, the probability of a taper tantrum style move in real yields has risen in light of the Fed's change in rhetoric. Now, you and I have been talking about this for a while now. Um, you know, if anything, the tantrum has been the opposite of what people expected. People <laughs> were expecting a massive rise or a quick rise to that 2% level. And then who knows, but what have we seen over the last few months in yields, Guy? The exact opposite, Dan. They've gone from 175-ish yes. at its peak down to 135 a couple of Sundays ago. Here we are as we speak around 148-ish. And you've been spot on. You've said the tantrum isn't with the market. It's with it's with people like me, pundits, as you say. They're all exercised about yeah. all this stuff. But if listen, if this is price per, 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 for perfection, what does that mean for our first chart, which is an S&P 500? If there's any change in yeah. those, what could it potentially mean here, Dan Nathan? Yeah, I think that's really interesting when you have started credit analysts kind of, um, you know what I mean, opining on the pricing of high grade, you know, corporate bonds, you have to go look at the stock market and listen, you know, people are not too bothered about a forward PE in the S&P 500, about 21, when they think the fact that, you know, the Fed is going to remain dovish, even if they start to taper at some point, let's say in early 2022, those dots are not calling for, those are the Fed dots. And I know that you love you get fired up when I talk about Fed dots, but they're not talking no, about actually. they're not talking about rate increases until 2023. Guy, can you even see out to 2023? I mean, to me, we could have a market crash, a correct, you know, we could have everything between now and then. Who knows what the heck is going to happen between 2023? So I look at that SP chart. I know that you see what I see. What do you see when you look at that chart? Hungry alligator. That's the yeah. hungry alligator chart, Dan. And you're in a yeah. significant uptrend. And look, yeah. we've been trading, we've been trading down to it bouncing off of it. The 200-day moving average to me is still in play. That comes in right around 38.25 or so. Nobody thinks that's going to happen. As By the way, Tom Lee on Fast Money earlier this week, I think he talked about a 4,600-ish price target for his S&P, and Tom yeah. Lee has been spot on. So we'll see. This chart looks great, nothing in the way, but just keep an eye on those. Just keep an eye on corporate bonds, because if things start to go even the least bit pear-shaped, 
Yeah. You wonder how it manifests itself into the broader market, Dan Nathan. Yeah. And I would say that coupled with, you know, some sort of policy shift that we might not get from the Fed, or at least them kind of thinking about thinking about a policy shift, that's not going to come until uh, August 26th, 7th, 8th at the, at the um, St. Louis Fed, Jackson Hole thing. Uh, people are going to be looking by that July meeting. But let's go to rates here, guy. You were just talking Blinded about the 10 year yeah, yeah, US Treasury yield. You see what I did there? I drove a little downtrend over the last few months here. And we've been talking about it on at uh, on at 1046 for the last couple months here. I mean, the bond market had sniffed out the fact that inflation fears are probably more in line, at least near term, with what the Fed is thinking as them being somewhat transitory here. I mean, listen, you know, this thing is right in the middle of that downtrend. If you were to break that lower end, you're going to that 200-day moving average, most likely that was the breakout level from early this year. And that's down near 1.21%. Now, you would say that might be great for equities unless it's going there because the bond market is also sniffing out second half growth that's going to be less uh, worse than expected. And that would mean earnings growth worse than expected. And that could be that sort of, as you might call it, a witch's brew for equities to test that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that, that's a different witch's brew. And maybe it's, listen, maybe it'll come on the back. All of a sudden, this variant strain, uh, you know, people are talking about that a great deal. Slowdowns in Europe, does it manifest itself here? Obviously, if rates go lower in Europe, it's going to have a drag on our rates here. I mean, it's a relative value thing. So good for you for pointing that out for quite some time now. I will remain in the 2% camp, but with each passing day, that camp gets harder and harder to reside in. It's like it's raining and you don't have a tent in that camp, Dan Nathan. Well, fair enough. I mean, so listen, let, let, let's go to the next. This is a single stock call here. It's on ConocoPhillips, Goldman Sachs. Your former employer guy, you were probably trading the oil for the Goldman Sachs. When was that? Back in like the late <laughs> 70s or something like that? That was the last time we saw a major price spike. Talk to us a little bit about your history with Goldman and crude oil and oil stocks. Yeah, I was a commodity trader from 1986 until r- roughly 2000. I worked at J. Aaron, which was the fixed income commodity and currency group residing within the umbrella of Goldman Sachs. We fastened ourselves a bit of the Oakland Raiders. And yes, I did trade the crude oil, but I happen to like this call as well. Cheap on a relative to its peers. That's true. I think right now, as we say, ConocoPhillips trading about 15 times forward earnings. Um, Bernstein, by the way, put an outperform on this or reiterated their outperform on June 21st. Average price target in the stock is 71. According to facts that the range is somewhere between 63 and 85. I like the call into earnings early August. By the way, crude is on a runaway train, which is a great song. I know you're not a fan of it. But crude's going higher here, Dan, which I think means there's going to be some tailwinds for COP. Yeah, really interesting when you think about what you're just saying about crude and relative to what we were just talking about with rates and what they might be sniffing out with second half growth, that sort of thing. I mean, to me, this seems a bit like a technical trade. It might be a supply demand thing. It might be seasonal. Let's go to the Conoco chart here, though, Guy. I mean, that is a a really, you know, a pretty, uh, I don't know if you want to call it symmetrical or something, but it's going back towards those those all-time highs or those recent highs. I just want to make one point here is that back in the fall, prior to the vaccines, the conversation about large integrated oil stocks is them defending their dividends. Okay, so just think about that, how far we've come in like seven or eight months. And now we're talking about 80, then 90, then $100 crude and what that might mean for some of these large integrated names. You know, to me, I don't think there's much more in this trade, to be honest with you. Maybe you get back
back to those 2020 highs here. And then maybe crude gets to about 80. But then if these second half fears really start to come about here, I think we have a situation where crude is probably one of the last commodities to probably come in. We've seen a lot of other industrial commodities come in well off their highs. Yeah, crude's having a big day, obviously, today. It's interesting. I will tell you that ConocoPhillips had a, a they, what they called, I think, a market update yesterday, and they reiterated this 10-year plan. Uh, it, it should be noted that these companies are operating a lot better. Efficiencies yeah. are there. They've been forced to operate better, which is now manifesting itself in the stock price. You're correct to point out that prior high, and maybe it runs out of gas there. I happen to think we're going to go through it. But as they say, Dan, that's what makes markets... Yeah. Which brings us to uh, our next chart, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so here's your crude oil here, and it's breaking out. I mean, it's a great-looking chart. You take that dis- you know, disastrous dip in, in last April, you know, sort mm-hmm. of May or whatever, and you have a fair- fairly constructive thing. I'm just not so certain, other than like some of the weird supply-demand dynamics that were caused by the pandemic. There's obviously some shipping issues. There's a whole host of things, right? A lot of bottlenecks all over global trade. I think the reopening, the global reflation trade, from the pandemic is not going to be particularly linear, you know, and I think that's why we might have some fits and starts. And I just think that you might see crude oil getting a little bit um, ahead of itself. And who am I? I'm just a guy, you know, looking at a big barrel of crude here. Um, But at the end of the day, um, you you know, I mean, we've seen all these other things kind of come in. Um, I suspect maybe crude gets to a level, gets a little overbought, and then we see a bit of a pullback and then a consolidation. But the beautiful thing about markets is that's what the point that, your yeah. your opinion is no less valuable than mine. We have different opinions on this one. I'll tell you this, and you know this, the dollar has been rallying. Crude has been rallying in the wake of that, which is interesting. If the dollar were to stop and actually turn lower, that headwind for crude is going to become a tailwind. And I think you're going to get to that $100 level even quicker. My opinion, we'll see what happens. But I'm yeah. again, again, you put up a good chart there. We're through that. We're basically through that resistance level. Do we get to levels we last saw? effectively this time last year or this time in 2019, I say, yes, we do, Dan Nathan. Yes, we do. All right, dude, talking about global supply chains and double ordering and bottlenecks into, um, you know, a whole semis. host. Uh, yeah, well, semis. we got to talk about semis. I mean, semi, the semis. Center. Yeah. And what is it? I think our friend BK says something about semiconductors. They're like the oil of computing and this and that. I mean, the fact of the matter is semiconductors used to be a very, very, very cyclical sort of business. And now the fact that they are in almost every consumer device that you can think of, and then there's certain areas where lots of memory and stuff, um, you know, are needed for a lots of, uh, you know, all of a sudden cars, right? Like, I mean, like it just goes on and on and on. So may, might we see less cyclicality and more recurring sort of streams out of some of these Memories and uh, memory players going forward. Here was this. I mean, listen, this is kind of uh, a couple days ago before Micron reported earnings last week. They said it was not an earnings call, but BMO um, upgraded Micron um, to an outperform from a market perform. Um, target goes to 110 from 90. Um, the stock is down 5% today after the results. And let's not just get into, I mean, the call doesn't really matter at the end of the day. And the results, I think the guidance and the way the market's perceiving it today, down 5% is the most important thing because I think investors are now, despite really good valuation relative to many of its peers, um, you look at this thing and you say, all right, what's the lot of that good demand might be backward looking. We might've seen a lot of double ordering or hoarding and that sort of thing because no one can predict the future here, Um, but we might see a weakness in demand in the second half. And I think that's what's going on with Micron today. 
Look, I mean, you first of all, I appreciate BMO's upgrade. They did it yesterday before they yeah. report before Micron report earnings. Good for them for getting ahead of it. And look, for a day at least, it looks like they're wrong. But just let me say this real quick. Their third quarter yesterday was astounding. And I'm just looking at my notes. So buck eighty-eight versus buck seventy-two. They beat on revenues as well. Operating margins, which as you know, is really important and not for basically all different companies, specifically for semis, running better 31.9%. The street was looking for 29.6%. And for you playing our home game, a year ago, operating margins were 18%. I will say this, though. If you look at a chart in Micron, we don't have it going back this far. You're talking about a massive potential double top going back 21 years, which is astounding. So, listen, price is truth, as I like to say. Not trading particularly well today. But the price range in this stock, according to FactSet, analysts are anywhere from 90 to 172 Average price target is 121. I think we're going to hold that bottom that you drew, that horizontal line, right at the 200-day moving average. And I think this is going to grind higher. But as they say, once again, that's what makes markets. It was an astounding quarter, in my opinion. And I think some of the commoditization, which has sort of been the bungaboo for Micron, is out of it now. Yeah, possibly. I mean, listen, I'll just say this about your double top, your long-term double top. You know, those highs also coincided with the highs in yields. And that was when inflation fear, uh, you know, fears were at their greatest in late uh, March, early April here. And that stock has come off considerably. You can make a lot of valuation arguments why this thing should be bought here. A lot of secular arguments, fundamentally, why it should be bought here, but it doesn't act well. So let's see how it trades if we see this thing get back to the mid-70s. And you know where that 200-day that you just mentioned is, um, that'll be a big level. But let's go to the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor sector. I mean, you just going from that S, uh, from that Micron chart guy to this chart where Micron is a component, you're saying, what the hell's going on here? Because these look like two different charts here, right? I mean, this one looks like it's ready to party a little bit, you know, just kind of broke out to a new all-time high. It's gotten rejected at that level we just got above um, recently, you know, twice in the, in the past year. It's been a volatile sort of um, range over 2021 here. Um, some of the big drivers, and you've been all over this, you talked about it on 1046, that NVIDIA. Yeah, anytime that thing has seen a downtick, you've been there, you've been a buyer here, but that thing has driven a lot of the performance um, of the SMH. And there's a lot of names that are not participating in, in particular. Okay, Taiwan Semi, the largest component, down 15%. Um, Let me interrupt you for a second. I, yeah. What did I say at the beginning? I said, I'm guaranteed we're going to OT. Uh-oh. And in about 10 seconds, we're going OT. So for you folks that have an 11 uh, o'clock, sorry meeting, about that, put it buddy. on. Put it on pause because you got to stay with us. Please continue, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no. So my point is the largest component of the SMH is down about 15% from its all-time highs. That's Taiwan Semi. So is Intel, a top five component. Now Micron is. So you're really seeing a lot of heavy lifting by your NVIDIA. And a couple other names as well. And look, if Micron were to get off the mat, obviously that's going to help. But as you mentioned, Taiwan Semi is 14% of the SMH. If Taiwan Semi participates... The SMH is off to the races. By the way, it's off to the races without it. Can you imagine what's going to happen with it? And there are other names that are starting to get off the mat as well. AMD finally showing some signs of life this week, right? And Qualcomm, listen, having a lot of trouble around 145. I can list the names. Um, There are names that are making new highs, Marvell being one of them. So Semis is an interesting group. I think the Micron call is going to be right on. It doesn't look like that today. But we'll see what happens. But Micron, to me, valuation-wise, and the fact that it's no longer a commodity story makes a lot of sense. Which takes us now, Dan, to our next chart. 
Please slide it, Earl. And this oh. is the chart of the week. This is something new for at 1046. Yeah. The chart of the week. We, we got to give Amanda a shout out here. This was her this was her baby here. And she just wanted to kind of hit this thing really quickly. I think she's got a couple Roku machines at home. You don't even know what a Roku machine is. But I love this one because this is so reminiscent. We were talking about your old timey days. If you wanted to make fun of me as a kid of Web <laughs> 1.0, I remember trading the tech stocks, like a big news announcement in 1998 or 1999 might be a Yahoo button or an AOL button going on to an, a, a compact computer or a gateway computer, uh, you know what I mean, keyboard or Love something. The Literally. Yeah, Do you remember sure. that? I mean, that was a thing that happened. That was a headline that would have come out, you know what I mean, on FactSet. And it might have said, you know, Yahoo button to be placed on compact, you know, like things, XPR, blah, blah, blah. And that the stocks would go just start raging here. Well, look at this thing. I mean, Talk about reminiscent of 25 years ago. I mean, Roku is a $60 billion market cap company. They are growing sales uh, over the last few years at 50% at a clip, expected to be, I think, in the low to mid-30s for the next few years here, trading about 21 times this year's sales, 16. Just goes to show you, when you see that price to sales multiple year over year go from 21 to an expected 15, they're growing sales pretty fast. You can probably do that math, Guy Adami. But look at that thing. That thing sold off 45% from its earlier highs this year, and it's now up 60%. It's getting back to that prior high. There's no way in heck that thing is breaking out there, is it? I, I, I happen to agree with you. By the way, huge volume day. Traded up to that February high. Thanks for Amanda Diaz for bringing this chart up. It's a great-looking chart. By the way, as well, Brian Roberts of Comcast, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article on the 23rd of June, talked about maybe buying a name like Roku. That's been out there as well. So this whole move, a lot of it has been sort of precipitated by obviously the Comcast thing and now this Apple thing. To me, for Apple, it reeks of desperation. And you know, I'm not a huge Apple fan, but you know, we'll see what happens. I, I think it's a double top. I'm with you. Yeah. I think if you've been fortunate enough to be in this, you take the money and run to quote Steve Miller. By the way, back when we were on the desk together, this is a name that you absolutely eviscerated me on on a number of occasions when I when I gave my uh, love of Roku and you looked at me and gave me that face. Well. No, you listen, you know what? And that's fair. You, you've you been all over this thing. You really have this story. And, you know, I just say this, you know, I, I think back to the last 25 years and there's a big trash heap of like hardware that's related to media and Internet sort of stuff. And I want to throw this thing right on that trash heap. Someday it will be there on top of like a bunch of TiVos and stuff like that. But in the meantime, this thing is rocking and rolling. But I'm with you, man. I just don't see the catalyst. I don't think a large media company should could buy this thing. Think about the premium on top of the $60 billion market cap that you need to pay. It'd have to be 35, I don't know, 30% or something like that. So you're telling me that this is an $80 billion deal? No. If, if AT&T is divesting you know, Time Warner and a bunch of other stuff, there's no one who can buy this thing. So to me, you ride this thing out. At some point, you're going to see material deceleration in the revenue growth. Um, They're barely profitable. Um, But let me just tell you this one last thing, and I'm going to move on. Please. Some of the smartest smartest tech investors I know, one in particular without naming names, loves this story. I'm just like, you know, you know how like sometimes something gets in your head about a friend of yours, you know, has a great track record and spotting like these secular shit. He loves it still. So, um, you know, all the power to you. I don't think it gets through that prior high, though. Take the money and run. Uh, we've gotten to be really infatuated with somebody named Mr. Butters. And that's John Butters. Uh, sort of. Yeah. I, 
That's the one for the road, please, Dan. Thank you so much. Well, please. you know what? As as we say every week here on 1046, you know, we have some great partners here. Obviously, Open Exchange is one of them. They power this thing. This is a virtual meeting that matters, at least right now. But also our friends at FactSet who supply. You didn't give me a shout out on my charts this week, guy. Usually you're I, like. It's not true. I said the. Ch- I thought I said the charts are great. Sorry. I apologize. Well, you didn't say. All right. Maybe you said for FactSet, but not my lines. Okay. Real oh, quickly, because we got to get the heck out of here. But John Butters, he's the senior senior earnings analyst. He, he has this earnings insight that comes out every Friday morning. He gives us a preview of that. So thank you, John, here. Um, you know, again, he's been on this theme of the last month of Q2 about um, just what's been going on with Q2 earnings expectations here. Analysts at EPS uh, have raised EPS estimates for S&P 500 companies for Q2 when historically they have lowered EPS estimates. You can see the other bullets here on the chart. I just want to make the point because we've been talking about earnings a lot on this 1046 here. Expectations are really high. The market's at all-time highs. Confidence is at highs. Valuations are at highs. What usually happens into events, Guy, when everything is high? Yeah, well, you know what happens, Dan. It, we go the road less traveled. Right now, the road yeah. less traveled is the bear road. And yeah. You know what else matters? Earnings matter. But you know yeah. what else matters? I'll tell you what matters as we get that. Punctuality. Here Punctuality matters. Punctuality. Here's the yeah. summary. High yield price for perfection, right? Did you say that? I said it. You said it. It is price for perfection as are corporate bonds. Goldman Sachs, ConocoPhillips, top pick. I agree. Cheap on valuation. BMO upgrades. Micron doesn't look great today. I think it will look great in the weeks to come. Chart of the week. Thank you, Amanda Diaz. Roku rockets higher. We'll see how much that lasts. I don't think it was. And of course, we mentioned Mr. Butters with his bottoms up. Dan, you want to just sort of say what you got to say before I thank our sponsors? Yeah, man. Well, listen, a lot going on here. I think it's a nice long weekend. Uh, We hope everyone has a great July 4th weekend. I'm going to be back here next Thursday at what time, guy? 1046. Yeah, you know. 1046. Yeah. Today's episode brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Plural FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange, they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Dan, it's been fun. Have a great long 4th of July weekend. We'll see you next Thursday at 1046. See you later.